Welcome to TNBC's Comic Book Workshop, brought to you by Panel by Panel Magazine and our lovely supporters on Patreon. I'm Jason Hammonds, a writer who also draws. And I'm Ken Heidelman, an artist who also writes. We're both making comics while still kind of learning how to make comics. After digging through libraries, the internet, and fighting, you know, robot monsters uh, for their precious knowledge on making comics, we thought it might be a good idea to share our notes and hopefully help you make your own comics as well. All right, Jason, what is on the agenda today? Oh, boy, Kent, we are today talking to uh, a writer, Sean McKeever, uh, the writer of uh, Outpost Zero, a new uh, young adult uh, comic from uh, Skybound, Robert Kirkman's imprint at Image Comics. Ooh. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, you'll probably know Sean McKeever from a lot of things. He did some Spider-Man stuff, some Teen Titans stuff. Uh, my favorite Teen Titans run, actually. He, uh, he followed up on uh, Jeff Johns' uh, massive 50 issues or whatever and continued that series on for another good long run. Um, he's worked in a lot of different industries, though. He talks about in this, uh, in this interview uh, working in video games and animation. Um, he's, really, he's got a, a very wide-ranging uh, list of experience in... Uh, in the industry of, of, of entertainment. Um, so it was a great interview with Sean. We had some technical difficulties in this interview. I did. So there's, we did. We did. I'm not sure if you remember. Oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. Now, now you got it. Uh, so there, there's going to be some creative uh, editing and cutting in here. Um, some of it might be a little bit crude just because the amount of time that I have to edit these days isn't amazing. Um, but I'm, I'm confident in future me that I'll be able to pull it off. Uh, but it was a great interview though. Honestly, we had a great time talking to Sean and, uh, as this episode is up, you can go and check on our Instagram. You'll see a pretty cool picture of Sean from when he was a kid. Uh, and he, he brings it up in this interview or maybe he does. He does. Was it in the interview? Okay, cool. We'll leave it at that. I want, I want them to be surprised. I just wasn't sure if he said it after the interview and we think, oh, you know what? You might've, that's, that's kind of what I'm wondering. We'll see. (laughs) Either way, there's a picture on our Instagram that you should see of Sean McKeever. It's really cool. Um, but uh, after we talk to Sean, uh, we're going to come back in and uh, talk about the Levitz paradigm. Uh, if anyone has read the DC Comics Guide to Writing comics, is that what it's called? Probably. Uh, by sure. Denny O'Neill. It's something that he talks about a bit. Um, and it's honestly something that I think Levitz, Paul Levitz, the uh, famous DC writer who did runs on Legion and many other things. Um, Legion of Superheroes, not to be confused with David Haller Legion, because that's a Marvel property. Come on, Kent. Huh? Rookie. What were we talking about? Uh, but uh, the, it's, it, we, talk, we want to talk about the Levitz paradigm. It's a way of balancing plot in a serialized medium. Um, and it's something that, honestly, I, I personally kind of think was pioneered with Charles Dickens and then just continued on with uh, pulp and comics writers. Dickens, well-known for his work in the comics industry. Dickens, a huge comic book writer. Uh, I think the creator of Spider-Man, Charles Dickens, uh, as well as Superman. Correct. Uh, Wonder Woman, Batman, uh, yeah. uh, the Avengers. Any, any of the big blockbusters. Yeah, the X-Men. There. Yeah, Charles Dickens created all comic books. Um, and uh, anyway, that's that's really what we're talking about today. But uh, we don't want to keep you keep you birds hungry for, for very long. So we'll get you right into our interview. We're going to vomit this interview up in your Ooh. mouth right now. <laughs> With Mr. Sean McKeever. Comic Book Workshop. I am Jason Hammonds. Joining me as always is my buddy Kent Heidelman. Hello. 
And today we've got another special guest, Kent. We got a guy joining joining the uh, joining the clubhouse here today to talk about some comics. Uh, he is uh, he's the writer of Outpost Zero for Image Comics and Skybound. He's also written many other things, such as uh, Spider Man Loves Mary Jane, uh, Teen Titans, among many others for both Marvel and DC. Uh, he's also written in video games for Star Wars: The Old Republic and others. Uh, but thank you for joining the show today, Sean McKeever. Welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So. First thing I wanted to ask is, uh, you've kind of, you know, for the, for this last few years, I think comics fans might, uh, you know, might see sort of an absence or something from your name on the on the racks on the spinner racks. Um, what what have you been up to these last few years? It seems like you've been doing a lot in the video game world, where I'm sure there's a lot of uh, NDAs and things you can't talk about. But tell me about what the this last few years has held for you. Yeah, so uh, back around 2011 um, was the last comic book I ever had out. It, it was an Avengers Origins issue from Marvel. And, uh, um, you know, at that point, uh, my comic book work dried up. Um, I went from from always kind of figuring I had some some work coming from Marvel and or DC. And, and uh, Marvel found themselves in a place where they weren't uh, doing new series. Um, they weren't taking pitches anymore. And and DC uh, was doing their new 52. And so I had to kind of scramble and look around for something else to do. Wow. Luckily, I had started making inroads in video games and uh, got in touch with BioWare and wound up uh, getting a full-time job with them and moved down to Austin, Texas from the Midwest uh, to work in video games. And so I did that for a few years and um, wow. and then went freelance again. And so now I'm... Uh, I'm working for I'm working for a couple of video game companies on some uh, on some freelance stuff and and also doing this uh, comic book and and wow. happy to be back after all this time. Yeah, no, it's and it's good to to see your name back. I mean, I was uh, like reading this first issue first of all of, of Outpost Zero. I mean, this is a hell of a first issue you've got here. Um, <laughs> It was it was a, a joy to read. I mean, this the world building in this I think is so phenomenal, and and you know obviously the fact that this is such a, a packed um, first issue of a comic is is I think something that's refreshing as well. Uh, where did this idea come from? Um, well, initially um, the idea came to me in 2007. I had taken a month off from writing comic books, um, and there was this idea that that just kept kind of coming to me, and it was. Basically, the idea of that first page of issue one, which is uh, Sam um, watching this this uh, archival recording of of a teenage girl mm. um, going through some difficult things, and the idea that you can connect with somebody like that and be unable to talk to each other, um, I thought was was poignant and interesting to explore. Um, and then, um, you know, in part of what I did in 2011 when I didn't have any comics work was I was putting together a bunch of pitches for publishers. Mm -hmm. The one pitch that I, that I spent the most time on was outpost zero. And I, 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 it really kind of came from my desire to write something like my first series, the waiting place again. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a teen ensemble drama uh, took place in a small town. And I thought, well, what if I did the waiting place like with science fiction? And so I conceived of the idea of, of having this, um, biome out in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing but ice and snow and it's unlivable out there and you're trapped and you can't you know you can't get away from your family you can't get away from from you know where you uh you know where you became uh your adult self Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that was really that was really the genesis of the whole thing 
That's awesome. I, uh, I really, I really dig the idea. Um, and, and I'm obviously, I mean, I think the story is, is fantastic. And anyone who's, uh, who hasn't read it or hasn't picked it up yet, you got to go check it out. Um, it's, a, it's a joy to read. It really is. Yeah. Uh, the, another thing that, that kind of stands out, I mean, first off, this is Skybound's first, um, young adult, uh, uh, comic. Um, and I know obviously throughout your career, you know, that's, that's kind of an area that you've really, um, excelled at and, and pursued is, is writing things that are kind of geared at, at young adults. Um, why do you think that is? Why, why is that something that, uh, it seems like you're, you're, um, you know, sort of continuously interested in writing for? Well, I think for me, it's, it's sort of this, um, you know, they're, they're like, Teenagers are like stem cells, you know, <laughs> that, um, they can become anything at that point. And that, you know, that's kind of how we all are. And I, I think that, I think that there are a lot of things about what we go through as teenagers that we still go through today. I think that, that we fool ourselves into thinking that when we become adults, that things are going to be different, but really, you know, everybody has relationships that are not unlike what they were in high school. Um, everybody has doubts about their future. Everybody, uh, questions the choices they've they've made and wonder what a different path might be. Um, everybody struggles, uh, and and I think that that's you know, teenage life is a heightened version of that. And it's when you first experience these um, you know these kind of uh, life problems that that you know don't truly go away. I, I think you know if they do for you, I mean that's amazing. But I think I think a lot of us kind of lie to ourselves and and say that everything's fine and you know, and, and post great pictures on Instagram, but there's some, <laughs> you know, there's some stuff going on too. Absolutely. Um, so where, where did you, uh, find this artist? I mean, did, did Skybound set you up with, uh, with your artist here, uh, Alexander? Um, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. You know how? <laughs> it's uh, Tefengi. Tefengi. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. did, did you find him well, yourself? Yeah, the, or? the K is in there too. It's Tefengi. I, I have a hard time saying it myself. Yeah. That, that's what's um, throwing, throwing yeah. me off for sure. The K and the G next to each other. I don't know how to say that, but he's quite yeah. talented. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Alex is a, um, is a Belgian artist. He's done uh, a lot of uh, work that appears in Dutch and French. Mm. Um, and, uh, he was actually recommended to skybound by Cliff Chang. Oh, wow. Okay. And I don't know how Cliff knows him, but um, if they if like if they truly know each other or if he just happened upon his work. But um, but I, I'm grateful to, to Cliff for that, because it, the finding an artist was actually one of the hardest parts of the book. I had started working on this book for Skybound in 2014. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it took us quite a while to find the right artist. And um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we found Alex. Um, he's he's terrific for the book. And and. Uh, Jean-Francois Bolu on the, on the coloring is just amazing. Oh, yeah. Ariana Mar on the, on the letters. I mean, it's just a fantastic team. I'm really super hyped for, for working with these guys. It may have taken a while for it to come together, but it, it has such a, a unified feel. I'm just experiencing the story. I'm not thinking about separate elements coming together from different creators. It is one very cohesive piece. So, I mean, great job to you and the rest of the team. Totally. Thanks. It's yeah, it really is kind of a um it is kind of a happy uh, uh you know, kind of a lucky thing because I mean it Alex um when he came on board, I'd already written, you know, 15 issues. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Man, Sean, you're so, pumping. Yeah. You got a back catalog there for it. Yeah, so like we um, you know, um I I've been writing all these issues without really knowing what the artist was going to do and not having that you know, sort of feedback loop of seeing what 
Alex would have been doing and, and then riffing on that. Exactly. Um, but I think he's, he's taken uh, what I've written and, and really taken ownership of it, you know? Um, and, it, and so it does um, have a seamless sort of look that I'm super excited about. That, that is actually uh, something that I wanted to touch on was uh, here in comic workshop. We, we talk a lot about craft cause it's all about making comics. And so we're, I'm curious what your approach was when you were working with the other creators and uh, when you hand off the script, how much ownership do you do you let them take and then how much feedback do you give for uh, when the work comes in, how much notes you're given? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. It can, uh, it can vary really wildly depending on the publisher, the editor, the, um, the artist. Um, me, I'm, I'm, I'm happy if they want to communicate and be in touch. I'm always open to, to uh, letting them ask questions. Um, obviously I want to have that, you know, like the, the script is a communication to the artists is mm-hmm. how I see it. And so if I'm not communicating things uh, clearly, I certainly, you know, want to have that discussion um, or if, or if they have, you know, thoughts on it, we can have those discussions as well. Um, you know, it's been anything from like, like working with Mike Norton, let's say mm-hmm. like Mike is pretty much like, you're the writer, you do what you're going to do and I'm going to draw it. And that's cool. You know, like we, we kind of have a shorthand with each other and we get each other. And so, you know, we don't even have to communicate about the script so much, even though, you know, Mike and I are really close friends and we, and we stay in touch all the time (laughs) Um, when it comes to the work stuff, we don't so much. Um, Or, you know, like I remember for terror Titans, uh, one of the things that I did with, uh, with Joe Bennett, um, was to let him do the um, uh, fight scenes without um, like more more of a plot style or Marvel style script. Mm. Um, so, so I'd let him break down the I'd let him break down the uh, panels and I'd let him be more in control of the action mm-hmm. because that just made a lot more sense. Um, because I you know there are certain things that I'm aren't my um, forte necessarily and and these big. Um, you know, set pieces with, with, uh, where you're blocking out and staging a fight scene with superheroes. Um, what matters to me during that is the pace and, you know, the highs and the lows and the emotional toll and the outcome. Um, it doesn't matter to me that, you know, like I'm not going to learn like all the proper fighting moves and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I don't want to also stifle the, this is where, you know, artists really sing in, in superhero comics in particular. Um, so I would leave that to Joe to, you know, to pace it as he saw fit. And I think that worked pretty well. So Sean, how did this find a home at Skybound? Um, Sean Makowitz, um, the editor in chief there, he reached out to me and asked if I'd like to pitch uh, for them. Um, he, he liked the waiting place and, and thought that I could bring something to Skybound that they didn't have going on. And he didn't ask me to, you know, to pitch a teen book or anything like that. In fact, the first thing I pitched to them was a, an ongoing, uh, horror comic Mm. that they turned down. They thought it was a little too, uh, unsettling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I don't know if they meant a little too unsettling for me or, or for them, but I mean, they publish walking dead. So who knows? Um, (laughs) but, uh, I, so the second pitch I, I brought, uh, outpost zero back out and, and polished that up and, and presented that. And, 
and Sean really liked it. And I, and, uh, I guess, uh, Robert and, um, and DA liked it and they, they said, uh, yeah, um, let's do that one. <laughs> that's awesome. And so, so it was that, it was really, it was really that simple, you know? Um, that's the nice thing about skybound is it's, there aren't a bunch of gatekeepers, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm wondering too, obviously, you know, just stepping back into, uh, writing comics after spending so much time with like video games, um, and animation and things like that, what did that experience writing for other mediums, uh, sort of teach you or did it, you know, did it inform how you wrote comics now or, or, uh, you know, was there any kind of distinct change that you found from, uh, writing in other mediums? I think the biggest thing for me, um, was getting some distance and perspective from, the comic book medium in the art form. Mm. Um, because in video games, you're, you know, you're writing from a different perspective. You're writing for the player kind of. Um, and, uh, and so that's a huge difference and you're writing, uh, things that could be in cinematics or, you know, during gameplay as opposed to sequential art. So it, so in that sense, it didn't really inform much. I think, I think one way it did was that, um, there are a lot of restrictions in terms of line length mm. in, especially when they're, um, uh, when they're voiced. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, so, so I, I think I looked at that as a way to kind of, um, redo the way I, I do word balloons. Um, so the length of the balloons are never too huge, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, it's, they're more in readable chunks. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess with video games, it would probably be pretty similar to how kind of screenwriting is a lot of the time where there's, you know, there's definite sort of restrictions on like breaking up your dialogue and making sure that you're not having anyone uh, uh, go on for too long in one kind of bit of of, uh, of expression, I guess. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, especially when there's player input and stuff, you just can't, mm-hmm. you can't make them sit there forever. Um, and then also just the fact of like, I think about, you know, what would the dialogue look like? Um, in uh, closed captioning, because that's in a lot of the games as well, you know. Oh, yeah. um, and so, so I kind of look at it all like that, and so I, I try to pare it down a bit more and not get uh, super wordy. But at the same time, you know, you do have to um, put character in there, and and that matters. So, mm. but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's really the main the main difference, or the main thing I learned from video games that I brought to comics. Mm. So what's uh for 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 you working on this book? I mean, obviously you said you have 15 issues uh planned out. Um, you know, or at least that you had already written by the time that uh that Alex joined the team. I mean, is this a series that you're planning on going, you know, sort of as an ongoing series or is there a definite kind of uh end to it in your mind? It's a, you know, I, um we don't know, you know, what the <laughs> length of the of the book's going to be, but it has a definite end. I've I've had a definite end in mind from the beginning. I've got a, mm. a 20 page Bible for the book um, that goes into a, a lot of the history and a lot of the future um, of this um, whole world. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm careful just to show you guys what needs to be shown now in terms of world <laughs> building and not get not get so lost in the genius of my world that I have created for you. <laughs> you know, um, so so, I, you know, I. I do have a definite uh, ending in mind. Hopefully we just have the enough uh, bandwidth and interest to get all the way there in the way that I want. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like you did an amazing job of balancing the characters and the world building in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope you were satisfied with the way it turned out because I <laughs> thought it was aces. Yeah, definitely. So actually in earlier drafts of Outpost Zero Number 1, 
um, which was actually like number one is number one and two. We merged them. Um, mm-hmm. And in earlier drafts was number one, um, I made it so difficult uh, for readers to comprehend just what's going on. Um, I wanted the pictures to tell the story as much as the dialogue and it just wasn't working. And, and luckily uh, Sean and Ariel pushed me to, you know, get a bit more explainy, but, you know, I found ways to, um, to give exposition without uh, losing the fact that it needed context, you know, Mm. um, within, within the story, within what the characters are going through. Um, I don't want to just, you know, sit there and have characters just, you know, as you know, you know, kind of, kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, so when they're, you know, so like when uh, Aaliyah and Stephen are having the big argument um, mm-hmm. with their, with their sort of, you know, um, diametrically opposed kind of feelings about the outpost, um, that's an opportunity for them to, to actually spill out a lot of exposition because it's important for them to make their case. Yeah, exactly. Well, it yeah. was a. Uh... It was really well executed, and maybe all the time was necessary to maybe getting it to that spot. Yeah, and I, I am curious. I mean, was the the decision to to merge the first two issues? Um, you know, did that was that a thing that kind of came from you or from them, or was it kind of both? Where where did that initially come from? So um, the very first draft of number one ended with what you see at the end of number one, mm-hmm. um, and um, I, none of us were happy with it. In fact. Um, before they even sent me notes on it, mm-hmm. um, I wrote them back and I said, I need to rewrite this. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I found that we had to push that ending to issue two um, because, you know, we weren't really getting to know these characters and it didn't really matter what had happened to Steven at the end of it. Mm. Um, spoilers, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't know. You don't know. Uh, yeah, we many, don't know. Many things yeah. could have happened to him. We don't know. It could have been a surprise birthday party. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it totally was. Oh, shoot. Spoilers. Sorry. Damn. All his um, friends bring all those presents. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so um, so from early on, um, I kind of felt like we should do a double-sized first issue. And, I, you know, mm. I had seen that, like, think books like Saga had done it. Yep. Monstrous was, like, triple-sized, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Monstrous was huge. And, and I thought, well, we should really, you know, I don't really want to have like an $8 comic out there, but mm-hmm. can we, you know, is there a way that we can do one and two together? And, and they said, well, we'll table that for later. We'll think about it. Um, and then eventually we came around to discussing it again and, and they said, okay. Um, and, uh, and so, so they, you know, they were cool with it and, and luckily, you know, we were able to get it out there at a, at a decent price. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, four ninety nine. Obviously, like the price, the price didn't double for that uh, for that first issue. So that's always a good thing uh, if you can, you know, kind of keep it at uh, a reasonable price while still giving tons of stories. So I think I think you guys struck a good balance there. Yeah, I think especially when you're talking about like a like a dramatic book with an ensemble cast, mm-hmm. um, you just really need a certain amount of real estate to, totally to really get you there. Yeah, I think with the waiting place, I I did it all right because I didn't have I didn't have to do all the world building right. Like I could yep. just have here's here's our main here's our character in the ensemble meeting everybody yeah and that's you know and that's the story and that and that works but 
but yeah, with this, with everything else going on and, and dealing with parents and, mm-hmm. you know, that's a pretty large cast to be handling totally. in, in 20 pages. Yeah, it's hard because in, in, in 20 pages, like in a regular 20 page comic with a cast this large, it's like you, something's going to give, you know, something's going to be sacrificed, whether it's not establishing the stakes, whether it's not establishing, you know, like the, the connections between characters, whether it's not establishing the world, like something there is, is going to fall through the cracks just, you know, by nature of the fact that it's only 20 pages and you have, you know, so many characters characters there and so i think that uh yeah i think that that was that was probably the best decision is putting those issues together because it really did do a great job of of setting up the story of introducing us to every character their mindsets you know their obviously their strengths weaknesses ambitions and all that stuff um and yeah i I think the balance was was awesome there and obviously it's it's always nice to have uh even more real estate as a reader you know to to kind of keep going and keep immersing yourself in the world sure sure um and I, I, I'm wondering too. I mean, with you know, like with this first arc, for instance, the first arc that you're setting up. I mean, is this going to be kind of like uh, because the first issue is is you know double sized? Is your first arc or first trade kind of planned out to be a four issue trade, or are they thinking maybe five? How long is this kind of initial arc? Yeah, we're um, the the book will be collected in in five issue chunks. Um, mm. At least you know the first few. Um, so, so technically, for for the first one, it'll be one through four. Nice, awesome, gotcha. Yeah, and and you know, I'm, I I know there's you know there's latitude um, for me to you know do longer. Or I don't know about shorter, but you know, I know there's <laughs> there's wiggle room there depending on what the plans are. But I think I think you know that that uh, hundred page chunk is a is a good size for a yeah. for a collection, and it's a good size to tell a a good piece of story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Sean, I was curious, is this your first creator owned project? Uh, well, this isn't creator owned. Um, I did, I, I did create it, but, uh, but Skybound owns it. Mm. Oh, I didn't realize that. Um, my first, my first creator owned project was the waiting place. Um, which is what got me started in comics. Um, that was in 97. Yeah. Um, you you and, uh, Mike Norton issues. You and you and Mike Norton uh, uh, later came back and kind of revisited the the waiting place as well, didn't you? I can't remember um, what year that was. Am I am I remembering that right, or was that something totally different? Yeah, no. In in two thousand nine, we put out um, a new edition of the of the series, all eighteen issues together, and Mike and I um, did a new epilogue for it. And wow. so that epilogue only appears in that definitive edition trade paperback. Which is now out of print, so shoot, I gotta figure out what to do next. You know, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a thing, yes, so I can go digital with it. Mm. But, you know, trying to find the right, um, uh, trying to find the right place to take it. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, it's it's always it's always cool kind of seeing with any creator, you know, like what what the comic was because it, it seems for most people at least uh, the most kind of definitive way of breaking into comics and the way that I think we talk about a lot in this show is to make a comic. Um, and it's, it's always interesting kind of like tracing any creator back to their, their first, uh, you know, kind of published work. Um, and it, and it is true. I mean, I, I think that a lot of, you know, kind of, um, I guess sort of the feeling of Outpost Zero, you know, if you take the, the sci-fi element out of it, I think there's, you know, some very familiar stuff for people who've been following your work, uh, you know, for a long time, you can kind of feel that voice come through. Sure. And, and we wanted, you know, and we wanted in, in the, uh, Outpost itself for there to be a sort of familiarity even though it you know it's obviously future tech and everything it 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 feels like pseudo urban landscape you Mm -hmm. know um that we're familiar with um and um 
and I think that um, I, you know I, th- I think that, that that provides a certain sort of um, uh, comfort you know uh, in in looking at this alien world um, that they live in and and it's really just um, you know it seemed to make sense to us that you know they might want to make it seem like um, you know we didn't quite want to go to 1950s suburban America but you know like <laughs> Like they might, they might look back to you know to uh, to ways that 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 we had these and go. Well, now that we can plan this this big round dome, like what would be the perfect way to plan it? You know? mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe put a lot of those you know um, vintage touches in there. So I, I think it works out pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm curious about your process, uh, too. You know, I mean, are you are you the type of person who's kind of like, you know, you have sort of your hours of the day that you're at work, you know, like a sort of nine to five writing type thing? Or how do you kind of balance your schedule? I, man, I'm still not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> but I really I want to have a really set schedule. Um, but I don't from day to day. Um, I try to, you know, I try to get working within the first couple hours after I wake up, I wake up around nine o'clock, you know, mm. um, today I woke up a little, little bit later cause I was up till 5am, but, <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just try to have a few solid work sessions a day and that can, that can be, you know, anywhere from an hour to two and a half, three hours. Uh, it can be here in my, uh, home office or out at a cafe, um, you know, because it's nice to get out into the world when you, you know, live at home alone <laughs> and work. And you gotta, you gotta kind of just be out in the presence of other humans to absolutely remind yourself that you exist. Absolutely, <laughs> and to have some kind of input so you have output. You know? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm the same way. I, I can't tell you how often I'm like, okay, I just, I can't sit in this desk in my room anymore. I need to like go somewhere else to do this. It doesn't matter what. Just like get some sunlight, get some sort of fresh air. Yeah, I think I think people who don't like telecommute um, or or specifically like like you know all the kind of jokes Starbucks and you know like like oh they want to be being, uh, like, look at me I'm writing you know, play or something. Um, mm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, no, I, I I totally get you. Is there is is there a, a a way? I mean, like when you're looking at a script, when you're finished, um, do you see like a a definitive way that the page should look? I mean, for like some people, they kind of have a rule of like one page of script shouldn't necessarily be more than one page of uh you know of comics paid you know of like sequential art or whatever. Is do you have that kind of balance that you're always aware of, or or do you have not have so many rules on that? Not at all. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I know instinctively what, you know, what fits in a page. And, and as long as the descriptions have to be, that's how long they are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sometimes they're a sentence, sometimes they're a couple paragraphs. You know? <laughs> um, it, it depends on what, it, on what, you know, what I need Alex to know and what I need the editors to know. Um, and, you know, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Uh, Sean, I'm super curious that uh, because of your relationship with Skybound and how it's working, and it's a it's a new project that was coming out. When you were doing the marketing for the book, uh, you were doing a signing even earlier today. Did you get in touch uh, with retailers at all and try to like help explain the book a little bit more, send out samples? Like, how did you get in touch with like uh, the local comic shops? 
Uh, well, Skybound has a program for that. Mm. Um, and so they, um, I don't know, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I know that a lot of retailers got PDFs. Um, uh, some of them got PDFs of the first three issues. Mm. Oh, uh, cool. Wow. So they can actually know. see what the uh, arc so they, is going yeah, and talk about it. Yeah, they they want yeah they want um, they want retailers to see what you know what they're going to be selling and what they're in for and yeah. and be able to to talk it up you know to people um, and I think that's great you know um, I I of course spoke to some retailers because I I used to be a comics retailer myself oh, really um, and I used to work at a yeah uh, it's a uh, it's a big uh, big aside but the short version is um, no go long go uh, long, I grew up in <laughs> What's that? Go long. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah, actually, yeah. I'm actually a former comic retailer myself, so uh, I want to. I want to hear uh, your side of it. Sure. So I didn't even know there were comic book stores until like the mid '80s, mm. and uh, once I knew that, like, I wanted to sell comic books. And my parents um, uh, moved our family up to Northern Wisconsin uh, to open up a hardware and sporting goods store, and I worked there from an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like 12 years old, basically. And, um, so when I was in high school, I wanted, um, the, the actual genesis of it was I saw that the grocery store next door had gotten rid of a perfectly good magazine rack, like a four foot magazine rack. And I (laughs) asked my parents if I could, if I could take that and if I could sell comics off of it. (laughs) And they said, sure, we'll put it on an end display on one of the aisles near the, near the front and you can, you know, order and sell comic books. And so... And this was this was after an, a, an aborted attempt in middle school to um, to sell comics to my classmates through um, a Westfield comics catalog, you know, where they give you like thirty percent off, you know, mm. and I was going to sell them at full price, and that didn't that didn't really take off. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, so cool. Uh, but so so yeah, so I got an account with a with a distributor and and just started selling a small amount of comics. In fact, this was, this was more of a store that did deep discounts than it was a distributor to start, um, mm. called MNM comics. They were out of, um, Chicago and they advertised in all the Marvel books. Um, so I started with them. Um, and that was, uh, what was that? I want to say 86. Um, yeah, wow. 80, 86 sounds right. 86 or 88. <laughs> no, 86. Um, it was, it was, um, in fact, it was, um, my first Amazing Spider-Man issue I sold there was um, two ninety-seven. Mm. Um, wow, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, and so uh, so that turned into actually like a two hundred fifty square foot section by the end of it. Wow, um, wow, that really and grew. I had a pretty full. Yeah, yeah, and I you know and I sold comics in there through the big nineties boom and bust and all that and oh, wow. and it was a lot of fun. You know, I didn't I didn't really make much money at it to be honest with you. And, mm. you know, my dad was always complaining because he's, he's, he's saying to me, uh, you know, you get new books every week. You haven't mm-hmm. sold the books you bought. You're like, <laughs> you know, he's used to like turnover of the same inventory, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, whereas in, in comics retailer, you have brand new SKUs, yep. dozens of them every week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's, oh, it's, yeah. it is kind of like to him, that is maddening. And, it, and he's kind of right. <laughs> it is, and I'm like, well, dad, crazy. I can, I can, I put them in this box and I mark them up and they sell later. 
and make more off of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back when you could do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's um, funny. But that was, you know, I, I loved selling comic books. And, and so when I moved to uh, Columbus, Ohio in, in uh, the late 90s, um, I did a lot of, spent a lot of time working at the Laughing Ogre there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I've, I've, over the years, you know, both being a retailer and, you know, attending, like, Diamond Summits and things like that, and then also um, um, through through you know creating comics and through working in a comic book store, you know I, I and just through the internet, um, I've known a lot of comic book retailers and I you know I try to stay in touch with some of them and and let them know what's going on and ask them like you know what would help and really when I asked them what would help, a lot of them were saying, well you know Skybound sends us an ash can, they send us you know posters, they send us this like. And, and basically it's like skybound has it covered yeah you know um so i didn't so i didn't need to do too much more except for you know i, I would talk to to a couple of retailers that i knew and and you know answer any questions they had yeah no sky skybound's uh marketing and pr people are, are all uh are all really really pretty good so that's awesome i'm really glad they're taking yeah, care of you yeah. so well yeah yeah so so i used to go in a comic shop with two of my friends and i mean just as you know like retailers are guessing as much as fans are on what's going to be a hit or not. And we're using all of our instinct and insight, but getting the first three issues digitally of an issue is tremendous. Cause you can be like, yeah, man, this issue is actually incredible. Or maybe um, to no fault of the, I'm just going to use kind of like widespread, not necessarily your issue, but like, Oh wow. The, um, they didn't really necessarily do a good job of marketing it in the, in the magazine that all the comics are advertising in, but this is actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. I can sell this. I know I can sell this. This is a market for my store. My store loves this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think what Skybound does is great for retailers who hand sell. Yeah. And retailers who hand sell to me are 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 the best retailers. <laughs> yes. um, so if yeah, if this beca- like if that becomes your pet book and you know your audience, you know your your customers, you know you and you know. Like, oh, man, like I sell a lot of, uh, you know, Wicked and the Divine or, and I sell a lot of Saga. Um, and I feel like this, like, you know, it's it's not as adult as those, but like it could sell to those people or, totally. you know, um, what Absolutely. have you. And, and or like I know who all my Harry Potter fans are or something, you know, and, yeah, exactly. and kind of, you know, do it that way. And and so, they yeah, they know who to sell it to. And they and and those, you know, those in stores like that, like at the Laughing Ogre, Gib Bickle, you know, like like. Uh, people would trust him, you know. Mm-hmm. Like if he recommended it, they knew it was going to be something they liked. Yeah, and and they usually did, and and that's how. Like at that store, um, the number one selling book every month, you know, in the around circa let's say two thousand was Astro City. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, it wasn't it, like JLA was was way up there at the time in X Men, but but Astro City was the number one seller because Gib hand sold it. You know, and 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 so yeah, I, I hope that that happens with Outpost Zero as well. That that retailers um, were able to read it in advance and go, mm-hmm. oh man, I know who I can sell this to. Yeah, and I, I think that you know it's 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 kind of a, a good point you bring up. You know, talking about kind of like the Harry Potter audience and stuff like that, because you know I think that these days, and maybe it was Twilight that did this or something, but like the 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 young adult designation, I think for some people brings this kind of negative connotation. Um, but I always kind of view that as like, no, this is like a story that, you know, taps into those, those kind of, you know, those feelings of, of those years. 
um, you know, when you're sort of in like your your late teenage years and and like entering into adulthood. And it's something that like taps into those those anxieties and those hopes and those dreams and all that stuff and kind of that crux of of life, you know, where you're going from, you know, like where, where you're entering into like taking ownership of your own of your own life. And I think that it's you know that 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 in the case of Outpost Zero and in a lot of other stories, Harry Potter, I think, being a great example, uh, it's more a story that's just speaking to those things and and works for you know an audience in that age range, obviously. But in no way does that mean that you know uh, people who are you know older and late into adulthood even are are not going to get something out of it and and enjoy it because it's like in the case of Outpost Zero, I think that it's. You know, it's a story that's just as as you know relevant to sort of anybody's struggles. You know, no matter what age they are. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's kind of weird, in, particularly in comics. There's, you know, there there are certain designations you can give something that that um, that immediately turns people off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure why. I, maybe it's because of the predominance of of the superhero uh, comic book, but. You know, back when I was doing Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, mm-hmm. you know, there was this whole like it's it's made for girls or, you know, and and <laughs> and Marvel's pushing it to girls. And uh. So it's not for me. And 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 it's the you know, with Outpost Zero and the and the YA, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that label mm-hmm. um, because that, that is what it is. But um, the, the the real truth of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, the cute little teen romance comic is I wrote that thing for 30 something year old Sean McKeever to read, you know, like I'm like, totally. I'm like, I'm, I'm writing this because I'm entertained by it. And cause it's something I would want to read, Yeah, you know? Um, and it's the same with outpost zero. Um, I'm, you know, 46 now. Um, I'm not a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I have adult feelings. I have adult problems and, you know, I'm writing this, this book about these teenagers and it's something that I, I would definitely, read it follow yeah absolutely i and i think that uh i think that that's a, a great point to raise and i mean you know it's it's i mean in the case of spider-man loves mary jane as well it's like that that was a, a very touching story I, I really really enjoyed reading that especially with those characters you know these these monolithic characters that have existed for so long you know and being able to like tap into you know the human element at the core of it i think you know in the case of that one the relationship between peter and mary jane um you know is really refreshing yeah, you know, do that. Um, I'm lifelong. Yeah, the Milwaukee State or Wisconsin State there in 1977. I I got to meet Spider-Man, so I dressed up in my Spider-Man Halloween costume, <laughs> and I'm sitting on Spider-Man's lap, dressed as Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like I, um, man, I, um, you know, I love Spider-Man, and so like to get the chance to write that series and to you know, to sort of adapt um, the Spider-Man mythos into something else um, was just a, a total joy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so to, to kind of wrap up here, we have one more question for you uh, that we end the show with every every time. But uh, before we get to that, let's let everybody know where they My can... My favorite color is blue. <laughs> oh, sorry. Nailed it. <laughs> um, but 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 let's let's let everyone know where they can find you online, where they can find your stuff. Obviously, following you and everything like that. Sure, um, you can find me at seanmckeever.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean K McKeever. Mm. Um, and and that's basically it. And um, you know, I don't have any big convention plans uh, for the rest of the year. I'm going to be at Pflugerville Comic Con if you're in the Austin area. Oh. That's September 29th, and it's a 
it's this awesome little free convention. It's a one-day thing that uh, at the library that um, a lot of families go to and a lot of people dress up for. And oh, that's super, super cool. Awesome. That's super cool. I, I, I love those, uh, like a lot of kind of um, cities, they'll kind of do, yeah, like a free convention like that. That's just sort of a, a one-off thing. And those are always yeah, so much it's fun. More, it's more like a little festival, you know, a yeah. little celebration. You end up seeing a lot more families at those things too, which is great because, you know, it's there's like there's nothing that uh, – like makes me more excited than seeing like a kid pick up a comic book yeah um you know you see the audience is aging so much and so then when you see like someone like a 12 year old kid you know boy or girl just like picking up and loving a comic book it's it's like the the most amazing feeling and i feel like you see that a lot more at those types of conventions yeah today i when i did that signing at uh, rogues gallery in in round rock here in in the austin area mm-hmm. um there was a, a a man who sat down on the floor near me with his daughter, his young daughter, and he was reading her uh, Squirrel Girl, Girl comic. Oh, and nice. she was, like, trying to read the words, too. Oh. And that just melted my heart. Oh, my gosh. And, I, and every time I do, yeah, every time I do one of, one of these uh, library shows and I see all these kids who've never seen a comic before, and especially now with, with this breadth of, of material that's out mm-hmm. there, um, that, and any that isn't just for, you know, teen boy fantasy kind of stuff, um, it's it's just exciting as, totally. you know, to see children and, and particularly girls picking up these comic books. Ah, thank you very much to Mr. Sean McKeever. Uh, for taking the time out to talk to us, he's a he's a wonderful guy, and I think really Out- appreciate it. Outpost Zero, honestly, is freaking amazing. I think we they have loved it. Two or three issues out at this point. Um, we had a little bit of a delay getting this interview uh, out into the world, but uh, that comic is amazing. You really got to check it out. The artist is incredible, and Sean's writing, I think, is I I, I pr- like. It's hard to when you read a young adult comic or book, especially. It's hard to find one that's not like pandering to its audience. Yeah, incredibly difficult. And it, I, I think he does a, such a great job of like keeping it age appropriate while still not, you know, not pulling any punches, you know, so to speak, for I, for the audience. I didn't realize it was a young adult, and that's not at all. It's, it's a compliment as best as I can ever yeah. give because I was like, I love this story, and he's like, it was a young adult story, and I'm like, I guess yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. it was. By the I end of it, you're it like, so oh, yeah, I guess there wouldn't be any reason why. Any yeah, there's no reason it. that a kid can't read it. I was just enjoying it so much. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, anyway, thank you so much for uh, for uh, the interview to Sean McKeever, and uh, let's let's get into those advertisements. These these right right about now. These these people paying the bills. Kent. Yeah, Jason. Do you like comics? No. Well then. This magazine isn't for you. But to anyone out there who loves comics, uh, you want to make sure you pick up Panel by Panel magazine. It is the most in-depth analysis. I don't even want to say analysis. It's like the most in-depth dissection of the comics medium that you can find available anywhere. You won't get anywhere near this level of insight on our podcast. That's for damn sure. Uh, but Panel by Panel is, is like a meeting of the minds. It's like a melding of the, of the subconsciousness of comic books into one... Uh, however many pages it is magazine is it self-aware yet it's very self-aware it's very it's honestly scary this magazine is going to take over the world i think humanity is completely uh arbitrary at this point it's really just it's moving on at a rate that we can't even comprehend um but panel by panel has 
I, really, I mean, from people like Denise Camp, uh, from from Hassan Otsman Elhow, of course, uh, you'll you'll find some of the most amazing analysis of comics and structure and form and artwork and writing. I mean, there, it, I I can't stress enough how much I love this magazine, and I my my pieces aren't even in every issue. I've gotten busy lately, so I haven't had stuff in the last couple issues, but I still read it because I love it that much. Um, so make sure you check it out. Go to panelxpanel.com, and you can uh, pick up a whole bundle of the, uh, of the issues if you want, or you can just pick up one and get your beak wet. Uh, but that's, uh, that's my favorite magazine in the world. Make sure you check it out. What you got for me, Kent? All right, Jason. I've got a comic, and it's called Scariest in Screamforth. Ooh. Yeah. Sounds, it sounds spooky. Is it spooky? Uh, it's a little spooky. A little it's spooky. a little cute. A little spooky cute. Cute-ski. Yes, exactly. It's a spooky-cute. It's a spooky cute, uh, spooky cute comic. Uh, it's for young adults. It's for anyone that can read. Mm, most people. It's it's a fun little uh, story about three kid monsters in a monster town trying to solve a mystery. Uh, it's kind of like Stranger Things meets Monsters Inc. Uh, you go check it out. You can read it for free at scariestandscreamforth.com. Hell yeah! And let me know what you think. Free comic. Go read it. Hell yeah! Uh, Kent, I've got another podcast. That's not this one. No, I'm not listening to it then. Well, good. Uh, too bad, because I know for a fact you've already listened to it. You've talked to me about episodes before. And I've been a guest on it. Ha-ha! And you've been a guest on it twice, maybe. Uh, the podcast is called The Savage Land Comic Book Podcast. You can find it at savagelandpodcast.com. Uh, it's just me and a couple of my buddies talking about comics, TV, movies, video games, uh, random people we saw at the mall, pranks we play on, uh, on Neighbors. Uh, rock climbing, any number of things, dinosaur penises. Uh, there's a lot of topics that we cover on that show, and it's a good time. It's just like hanging out with your imaginary very friends. Lengthy. It's pretty lengthy. Uh, there's, I get, I see what you did there. Uh, but yeah, our episodes do often go long. Um, but it's just like hanging out with some friends that you wish you had. Um, <laughs> but no, we want to be your friends. We're not above you. We're just you know sometimes we all We're wish we had friends, friends there. Yeah. Uh, please, it's, please it's, be our friend. It's a good time. Find it at savagelandpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All righty. Uh, we have one very special thing to advertise left, and that is the Comic Book Workshop Patreon. Oh, yeah. This this boat don't run for free. It does run for free. It does kind of run for free. Kind of, but but, but, but thing, any, any, any uh, water we can get out of the boat helps. <laughs> we are drowning. <laughs> we are this boat. fucking drowning. We are below sea level. Help we need us. your help to surface. <laughs> we really, we are going to die soon. Um, no, we're not. We've got to get the water out of this boat. Yeah. But if you if can you help. lend your bucket. If you want to give some buckets of money our way <laughs> to help absorb all this seawater. Please. Hello, my name is CW Money Buckets, and I'd like to support this show, this program. Oh, I see you got yourselves a Patreon. Well, here's all that money. See, here's all that sea money. And uh, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash. That's just for you, Jason. Thank you. TMBC Workshop. If I hear another person put a backslash in the URL, I'm going to backslap them. Backslap, backhand. Well, don't say slap. backslash it because that's, backhand. that's very Backslash. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, go to our Patreon, and we've got a variety of tiers. You're probably familiar with crowdfunding of some kind at this point yeah. in the world. There's a bunch and, of benefits for, and, for supporting. Yeah, us. there's all sorts of benefits. You can hear this episode for free in mm-hmm. future episodes, or not for free, uh, for in early. That's the one. Early. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Er, early access to this episode. Mm-hmm. All sorts of behind the scenes, little ditties that are exclusive to Patreon. Yeah. Not only behind the scenes of our uh, podcast process, but behind the scenes of our comic book process as well. It's a little a bit of a little bit of those. Uh, so yeah, head on over to our Patreon if you 
want to help us uh, support. But Hell the best yeah. way to support this podcast, very best way, is just listening. And you're doing a great job. And already. we we love you for it. Uh, and if you if you uh, hit that uh, three dollar tier, then you'll be able to get your name shouted out on this podcast. Oh, that's true. And uh, you know, head to the very end of this podcast to find out who that is. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, uh, there's one last advertisement that we've got here. And that is a, a blank one, a little blank spot. Oh, that's right. We have a little blank advertisement in our schedule. Uh, and the reason for that is we are waiting uh, for submissions. We're going to be, for the last episode of season one, uh, which, you know, I still haven't decided which episode number that is. I think it's 13, but I'm yeah, not we, positive. Yeah, we dance back and forth. Anyways, at the end of season one, mm-hmm. we are going to be giving away a free advertisement to one indie comic. We've already gotten a few submissions, and mm-hmm. we greatly thank those that Absolutely. have submitted. Uh, but... Basically, just give us a 15 to 30 second audio clip advertising your comic. Uh, it would also maybe help to give us a sample of your comic as well, just so we Please. know what we're dealing with. Yeah, we don't. There, there's there's a certain limit to what we'll promote on this show. Yeah, uh, well, not a certain limit. We will do almost anything as long as it's not hateful. Uh, exactly. That that's the limit. If 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 you're not actively hateful in your comic, then we will we will absolutely throw yours in the hat for uh, consideration for the ad. Yeah, we'll pick our favorite. We'll throw it up there, and it is free, totally mm-hmm. free. And uh, if, if we like the results, uh, I think we'll keep it going into season two for for more uh, comic book ads. We'll I hope see. we do, but we will have to see how it all works out. Yeah. Uh, it's actually been a fair amount of work that I was not anticipating having to field <laughs> yeah. those emails. But speaking of where can they send those emails? Oh, those emails they can send to letters at tmbcworkshop.com or submissions at tmbcworkshop.com either one um and uh yeah make sure you uh send in your advertisements uh for this program and we will put them in yeah mp3 or wave files whatever you got there you go uh kent let's uh let's get into the main topic today Alrighty. today we're talking about the levitt's paradigm kent i've been super excited to hear this this is uh, something that I first encountered uh, in Denny O'Neill's uh, DC Comics Guide to Writing Comics. I'm, it, that, when you say it out loud, it sounds really clunky. Yeah, it does. But when you read it, it looks When you look at it, you're like, great. okay, yeah, it makes sense. Um, Denny O'Neill... Yeah, it's the title. Yeah, it's the title. Uh, Denny O'Neill wrote... Uh, it's a great book um, that's about the writing of comics, and specifically the writing of company-owned comics. Um, Obviously, uh, for creator-owned and stuff like that, the processes are a little differently. But you can probably still use the exact same model, though. Absolutely, absolutely, you can. Um, and, and you know, when you read through this book, there are definitely some s- certain things in that book that are uh, a little uh, dated. I think, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And and I think honestly that some of those things that you might consider dated these days. Uh, if you were to start using some of those methods, would almost be refreshing. You know, it almost uh, be new mean, because yeah. it's old. Um, we'll back. Yeah, and there's there's all these like weird little things that he talks about. Um, you know, he always has the, he has like this rule that um, first off a splash page. We commonly refer to a splash page as just an image that's a single page spread or a double yeah. page spread. You know, uh, but uh, the way Denny O'Neill defines it, and the way the comics industry defined it for a long time was the splash page is within the first three pages has to be within the first three pages. It's a single page spread image, but the splash page would include. Uh, credits would include the title would include um like all of that information you know editorial company information all that stuff is included on the splash page um and so it's your splash into the comic you know you read a little bit or even if it's on the first page you know it's your introduction it's you jumping into the water spider-man yeah exactly created by stanley yeah exactly stanley presents spider-man written by stanley art by stunning steve ditko or whatever they call themselves 
uh, chief executive officer. Or yeah, and then officer. under at the bottom, uh, called chief publisher Martin yeah, Goodman, um, secretary, uh, 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 treasurer. What was it? Publicist. What was that Flo Steinberg? Was that the secretary in Marvel back in the day? Yeah, secretary How do you Flo Steinberg. This stuff? Uh, it's I've read the secret history of Marvel comics like twenty eight times. Um, it's a great book. Definitely read it. Shout out Sean Howe. Uh, if you can't tell, we're recording this outside. The engine noises uh, might be an indicator. In lovely Long Beach, California. Lovely Long Beach, California. Come visit for a convention someday. Um, anyway, and now I'm really drawing from memory on this because I was like, I should have been prepared more than I am, but uh, I am not super prepared right now, so if we end up re-recording this, uh, you won't even notice and you won't hear this. Uh, but the Levitz paradigm, basically, if you if you look it up, you can Google image search for it, um, but... The way that Denny O'Neill explains it, he explains it kind of in this visual way where he draws out like a graph. Um, and it's Paul Levitt's method of balancing subplots. And so when you're working on a comic okay. book that's ongoing for a very long time, you know, he tries to have an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot in each issue. What is an A plot? <clears throat> a, a plot, B plot, B, C plot. What are <laughs> so those? It's basically the A plot is, is the, main, uh, the main plot of your comic, the main thing that happens. Uh, so if you are, um, do we have an example comic that we can either make up or that you can pull for, directly from your mind? Is there a Teen Titans thing that you want to pull or a Teen Titans thing? Uh, yeah. Or you just want to make up, do you want to make up a Teen Titans story for this podcast? I could make a, let's make up a Teen Titans story for this podcast. Um, okay. and this, Robin, Superboy. It's not going to be very good. Wonder yeah. Oh Girl. yeah. This will be, this will be Jeff Johns lineup at Teen Titans. Let's be real. It's the best lineup. Um, so let's say we have a Teen Titans story. Uh, the A plot is, uh, uh, Robin, Tim Drake, uh, in, in investigating a murder, okay? Perfect. Tim Drake's investigating a murder. Uh, and that is kind of the A plot of your story. So th- this this plot will take this up... This issue one. This issue one, sure. Uh, this will take up 10 to... Anywhere from 10 to like 13, 14 pages. So each of these plots ends up actually adding up to a page count. Uh, uh, roughly. Roughly. But the, the A plot dominates the majority of the issue. But this math it can help you kind of focus where your story... Totally to can. me, that's one of the benefits of this when you told me about it. I'm yeah. trying to get refreshed, but I'm, I, want to, I want people to think about that math because that helped me a lot. Yeah, so let's, let's say the A plot takes up... Um, and this is a 22-page story. Uh, yeah, out of 22 pages. Uh, let's say the A plot takes up 14, 15 pages, right? So t- your, your main story, Tim Drake investigating this murder, right? Uh, and then you, you kind of break that up into that, that A plot. You can break that up into like three or five acts, depending on which, you know, uh, philosophy you kind of follow. And so there'll be kind of natural breaking points in the plot, um, where something will happen. There's a little bit of a cliffhanger, right? You know, there's, there's a, something that he's, you know, a room he's going into or three pages, a little, little, yeah, something like that. Many, many, many pages. Yeah. Where it's just like, okay, here's the, this is, you know, the next sort of, we're going into the next phase of this A-plot, right? And at those natural markers, uh, where you'll be able to find in your story, you know, where the tension is really high or where the mystery is really high, um, then you shift the focus and go to another plot. Um, so, so this would be where you could put a B-plot. Um, the B-plot, uh, you know, could be something like, okay... Uh, Wonder Girl. Wonder Girl is uh, at school and uh, Gorilla Grodd. Uh, uh, substitute teacher smashes through the wall and substitute smashes through the wall and says, "Hey kids, I'm your substitute teacher." And he's also talking (laughs) like (laughs) he's talking like Hulk Hogan for some reason. Gorilla Grodd got a Hulk Hogan voice. Um, 
And so uh, Gorilla Grodd breaks into the to the room and, and whatever. And so then Wonder Girl hears all the commotion and comes in. And that's that's the thing. It's Wonder Girl at school. And so we're just like regular all day at school. And then she hears commotion, runs in the room and sees Gorilla Grodd is teaching. And is going to go try and class. fight him until. Well, no, that's the thing. She's just wondering what's going on at okay. this point. Oh, right? This is the first right. part of the B plot. She's B-plot. just wondering what's going on. So she goes in. Bah, it's Gorilla Grodd. He's fucking, he's teaching he's this class, whatever. Class. And then you, you, you go back to, uh, at that point where she sees Gorilla Grodd, let's say you go back to the A-plot, right? Cut to. So now, so now we're back with Tim Drake. He's, he's, uh, he discovered the body, right? So that, that's the thing. Tim Drake investigating the murder. That first part of the A-plot, that was him, you know, going about his business or whatever and then finding the body. So now he's found the body and he's got he's to start to put the clues together. So Tim Drake's putting the clues together. You get to the next point where he... And he finds out who the, who the I, 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 ID's the body? He IDs the body, and then he well, the, the the next thing's got to be actionable, right? So he IDs the body, but that's that's not nothing anything you can really end on, unless unless it's like a big reveal, like oh, oh it's I, Leslie I was Tompkins. It's uh, Wonder Wonder Girl's actual teacher. That's why he's substituting. Oh, you want to tie it? In? Okay, okay, yeah, okay. In. So yeah, it's 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 Wonder Girl's uh, regular. Well, no, eh. Eh, no, it's, no, because it's too because, direct. Hold on. Yeah, let's all we'll get we'll get to Wonder Woman's or Wonder Girl's uh, substitute or regular teacher uh, later. So this body, whatever he IDs Again, it, up. he IDs it, but then he decides that he uh, Tim Drake. He's like, okay, if I did this body or whatever, but he finds a clue, right? Yeah, we need that clue. Finds a little little thing, something that he can We're investigate. Not just ending this. We're this is the beginning. Yeah, and so then, and so then Tim Drake sees sees this thing. Let's say it's a a, a, a little green question mark. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and he goes, "Oh well, I should probably go and uh, talk to the Riddler then." Uh, so that that's that's you know he's about to, to head off on his journey to go talk to the Riddler. So now we get to our C plot. Finally, Mister or Mrs. C plot decides to walk in. Mister C plot decides to walk in. Uh, C plot. Let's say this is uh, Superboy and uh, Beast Boy. Uh, yeah, f- fighting over uh, the. Uh, controller to play Fortnite. Both of them want to play Fortnite. That's a little and, too uh, topical. Well, you know, it's current. It's Teen Titans. It's edgy. It's new. <laughs> um, You're right. Insert no, whatever the current video game is. It's insanely yeah. popular. So we so we come in on uh, on them, uh, you know, playing, yeah, like trying to play Fortnite or like one of them is playing Fortnite. What animal is Beast Boy? Uh, Beast Boy is a an octopus uh, playing Ooh. Fortnite, and Superboy comes in because he's like, "Dude, you're slimed up the controller, and I want to play and whatever." And so they a how about he slimed up all the controllers because he's, he's, he's an octopus, so he's holding multiple controllers. Well, yeah, but at he's once. A, it's a one player game. I think Fortnite's a one player game. I mean, it's online, but like I think uh, online the console, it's, well, that's I know, it's killing <laughs> video games. Anyway, uh, so so that's that's we leave off with them getting in a bit of a tussle. And so that how many pages would that C plot be? C plot. Uh, Typically, you'd find this like about two pages. It's it's C. It's the last one. Yeah, it's the last one, and so it's very light. So that's we'll that's get, where we kind of uh, leave off with that. We're gonna we're gonna get back to why C is important. Exactly. Uh, and then the B plot, you know, the B plot you'd find around five ish pages. So you've got like fifteen for your A plot. So are we five cutting for back? Are plot, we now cutting from C to B? From no. Are we going back to A? Maybe. Depends. Where's the Where's the rest of this issue going? It depends, and that's the thing. You can mess around with that. You know, the order of it doesn't matter. It's 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 the the sort of content that you have. These three things. If you're trying to serialize your comic really well, um, well I kind of wanted to find out what was happening to Wonder Girl. Oh yeah, can we find out? Let's let's find out. We'll go back to to the B plot. So we've B-plot. just we've just checked back into Titan's Tower, and they were they were fighting over that controller or whatever. And that's just one page. So they were they were fighting whatever. Uh, and so now we go back to the B plot. Wonder Girl. She's coming to the room. She's already seen Gorilla Grodd. Now she's in there. She's like. What's going on? Why is that? Why is that wall smashed? And why is Gorilla Grodd here? And he's like, "Hey there, brother! I'm here to substitute teach this class because the teacher was was called out sick, and I've I've been trying to re 
reevaluate my life and, and prioritize the education of young children, brother. Uh, and Wonder Girl's like, I don't believe you. Why would you take such a violent approach? I was trying to make a splash. I was really trying to impress all these kids with my teaching skills. And I don't necessarily know how to use doors because their knobs are really tiny and i got big gorilla hands. Uh, he's also saying all of this over his mind. Isn't that how Gorilla Grodd communicates? Does he communicate over his mind? Uh, or does he actually no, no, talk? I think he's just, just some smack talking. Fuck yeah. I don't remember. Well, then this is great. Um, so yeah, anyway, she's talking to him. And Wonder Girl's like, you know, I don't, I don't freaking believe you, Gorilla Grodd. So she smashes him back out the wall. But not even the hole that he already created. She creates a new hole in the wall. So it's like, Wonder Girl, are you really like solving this problem at all? Or are you just contributing to more problems? Like violence begets violence. And this is kind of a vicious cycle that you trap people in. And, you know, I mean, when, you, when, when people can't get away from the violence, that's how they keep turning to more violence. And that's more of a, see a higher rate of theme. crime within. Uh, Within ex-convicts, you know, e-plot, because e-plot. if you've already been convicted of a crime, then you're more likely to commit another crime because it's you just get sucked into that mm-hmm. life of crime and people mm-hmm. antagonize you because they mm-hmm. think you're a criminal. Anyway, that's all subtext. That's all that's all stuff that we can infer on this story because Wonder Girl smashes Gorilla Grodd through that wall again. She starts beating him up or whatever, punishing him or punishing him, whatever. It's like, Why are you here? He's like, I'm really trying to turn my life around. And then Wonder Girl sees in, in his uh, professor bag that he came in with, she sees literally it's a certificate of, of graduation. From Gotham University, it literally says like Gorilla Grodd. T- Gotham University Teaching Academy. Teaching Academy, yeah, where where he actually did get a, a degree in teaching. You know, she's like sees it in his bag. For some reason, he carries that around in his bag. Uh, <laughs> he's very proud of he's it. He's very proud of it. You know, and people don't believe him, and like this is a big step in his life. He's he's been reforming. He usually gets framed, but that's okay. Yeah, he gets framed a lot. And also, I I, sh- I think we picked the wrong gorilla. I think we should have done um, one of the less intelligent gorillas. It doesn't matter because it's like Gorilla Grodd. It's like we're not that impressed that he got a degree because he's fucking smart. You know, but if yeah. it was like. Solomon Grundy or something. Well, he just, well, no, he got it on the way to the school. Got it on the way. There we go. Yeah, I was on his drive to the school. Uh, anyway, so Wonder Girl sees that and she's like, oh my God, he might be telling the truth, right? Holy shit. What? Uh, anyway, cut back. Cut to, to Titan's Tower. We're delaying the Tim Drake mystery even more. Oh, sh- yeah. C-plot? We're going back to C-plot? Go back to C-plot. Go back to Titan's Tower for one page. Superboy and Beast Boy, they're fighting over the controller, right? Oh my God. Fighting, this Beast Boy's an octopus now. He's clawing at Superboy's face, and then on the TV, this thing, on the TV, on that very TV, comes. Oh shit! What the fuck is his name? I forget his name. Shit! What's the, t- the cyborg? T- Why not? Yeah, cyborg. A message. A message across the TV says, "Guys, I need help right now. If you see this, this is cyborg. Go to this address. I'm trapped in blah blah blah. Don't, blah. He doesn't even say anything. Nope, I need okay. help. Go to this address." Right, and it just says that on that screen, and that stops their fighting immediately. Oh my god. Boom. Cut back to Gotham City. A plot. A plot. Tim Drake, he's tracked down the Riddler. He's in some, he's in Carmine Falcone's basement on a computer or some shit. Doesn't fucking matter. I don't care. Sure. Uh, Tim Drake's punching up Riddler. It's like, why is your question mark on the thing? He's starting to do his Batman thing, you know, like Tim Drake's always trying to be where, Bruce. Yeah. Where are you? He's trying where to be, are you? He's trying to be Bruce, but it's like it's like, come on, Tim Drake. Like we know you're not you're, you're not. not Batman. But he's like trying to, he's like, where were the other drugs headed? I don't know, I swear to God, swear to me. Uh, but Riddler's like, dude, I don't I don't know what the hell you're talking about, dude. He's like, why would I just like leave a green question mark at like a crime scene? Like I would actually give you a riddle if that was actually me. You're a freaking idiot, Tim Drake. Like That's not my MO. It's not my MO. I'm just gonna leave a green question mark. Like I'm gonna challenge you. This wasn't a challenge. I was just chilling in Carmine Falcone's basement. Like, you could have found me anywhere. I would have made it hard for you. But my whole point is to challenge you and be a better detective, right? Like, come on, dude. Uh, anyway. Uh, and the Riddler's like, look, let's, we'll go back to that crime scene. I'll look at it with the you. The real right? riddle is why you think it was me. Mm, sure. Sure. They go back to no, the crime scene, though. Good, but yeah. They go to the crime scene. Body's gone. Ooh, snap. And 
in no its one place. Police. In its place, the handprint of a gorilla. Yeah. And issue and one. A, and a Anatomy of a Gorilla book opened up next to it saying that's a handprint from a gorilla because it looks so similar to it. Just a gorilla handprint. Okay. Yeah. Just is a it labeled gorilla handprint? Yeah. It says it says this is a gorilla. No, Riddler says, no, oh, that looks like a gorilla handprint okay. there, buddy. There <laughs> <laughs> so, to recap, we had our A plot. It was the murder mystery. Uh, Tim Drink thought it was the, the Riddler. And then uh, at the very end, there was a missing body and a gorilla handprint. We had our B plot. Uh, gorilla Grodd comes in to teach class. Wonder Woman or Wonder, Wonder Girl. Girl. Thinks that uh, thinks that there's something nefarious going on, right? Uh, and uh, and and makes some false accusations of it. And Gorilla Grodd seemingly gets false accusations. An educational degree. Yes, he has an ex- educational degree, and there's a revelation made about Wonder Girl where she thinks maybe she is too quick to jump to violence. Um, and then uh, there's a C plot where uh, Cyborg is is maybe stuck in a TV. I don't know what, what's happening with Cyborg, right? And, and Beast, Beast Boy and Superboy Super have to go investigate. Okay. So A plot. What does this do? For, now we've got this whole thing. I think honestly, I'm really glad we. We went through and mm-hmm. made this little story up because it helps kind of illustrate the... Even though we spent probably the least amount of time talking about Robin, mm-hmm. the page count-wise, that's where the dedication of the the most of the story was. Yeah, is. yeah. And there would be probably, honestly, like in a regular comic and, and with the the amount of pages that he has, honestly, he would probably have a couple of different stops along the way rather yeah. than just going directly to Riddler and finding him. There would probably be... I'd the meat say, of the story There probably be Robin. three plot points in his story, three or four plot points in his yeah. story. Um, Main course is Robin. Side dish is uh, Wonder, Wonder Girl, Girl. Mm-hmm. and then uh, a, a tease, a taste of a, a sampling, a little sauce. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, in this next issue, basically what you do is with each issue you graduate your subplots, um, and so the B plot becomes the A plot, the C plot becomes the B plot, or sometimes the C plot becomes the A plot. The B plot stays the B plot and progresses a little more, and then you introduce a new plot into the mix. But it's this transitioning between issue to issue that can help fuel an ongoing series yeah the interest of like new things uh, how do you introduce new ideas where do you give them the dedication mm-hmm. when he explained this to me uh jason was saying like, oh you got these ones when you move them around because suddenly now i want to go i want as the writer everyone you know listening to this might be like oh i want to focus on this i want to focus on that and that's awesome mm-hmm. you write it the way you want to write it but for me can't heidelman the writer mm-hmm. I want to know about Wonder Girl. Yeah. That's where I'm like, I want to find out. I want to go to the school. I want to find out about Gorilla Grodd. What course is he teaching? Yeah. Why, why is he deciding? Oh, what kind of study? How is Wonder Girl as a student? How are they as a teacher and student together? That's where I'd be. I'd go, <laughs> okay, we're going A-plot uh, big time with this for Wonder Girl. Yeah. Uh, and then... Well, so here's the thing, right? Yeah. We, go into our, we go into our second issue. Yes. The so B- issue two. The issue two. The B-plot of, of Wonder Girl and Gorilla Grodd has now become the A-plot. The A-plot of this issue is Wonder Girl trying to reconcile the fact that Gorilla Grodd is teaching at her school. What the hell? Trying to figure out, like, and research, like, why did this guy turn over a new leaf? How did he, how was he able to teach at the school with his criminal history and all that stuff? And, and trying to find, like, is there something wrong here? Uh, you know, but, but maybe she starts to turn around and like him. B-plot. Cyborg, or Beast Boy and Superboy are going to uh, investigate what happened with Cyborg. I think right? it has to go B-plot. That, that goes up to B plot, and so they're 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 trying to go and find out where you know what's going on with Cyborg. They're going to that address. Uh, C plot, Tim Drake analyzing that gorilla handprint. Ooh. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, you only give that a couple pages, and then the an- page. he anal- one page he analyzes. Yeah, the next page it's fucking gorilla Grodd's handprint. Oh snap! Oh snap! So Tim Drake the body's missing. Tim the Drake handprint's there. Hot on the trail of Gorilla Grodd. Meanwhile, he doesn't know about the that teaching thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, Wonder Girl's kind of investigating him. Maybe she's warming up to him, right? Ooh, so then, she's becoming friends. Yeah, maybe she's becoming friends. And so then, further along down this down this plot, as you develop this arc, it's like you can have 
Tim Drake and Wonder Girl coming to a head over Gorilla Grodd because Gorilla Grodd's, you know, Wonder Girl's really liking it, but Tim Drake's convinced he might he, he snatched up this body. Suddenly the original A-plot and B-plot are merging. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Those, those, those two are coming together. And then the C-plot, you can keep that progressing, and maybe the whole time the person who killed that person and then snatched up the body was whoever is dealing with Cyborg, whatever's going on there. And so then you bring the whole team together for the culmination of the arc. Uh, and you can you can also introduce whatever the you know another C plot you can introduce along the way might have something to do with Starfire, uh, you know and, and and you can you can bring all these plots together these disparate strings they start out separate and as the story goes on they start to weave together into a, a greater whole or uh, definitely that or mm-hmm. maybe you have a strand or two that are left over that helps fuel the next arc exactly well that's the of thing of your. As you, as you start to get to the conclusion of the arc or whatever, the, and, six, and, this is, yeah, and this is what uh, Paul Levitz would do, is he would pepper in these little C-plots there every once in a while, and then a few issues later, he'd bring that back around, you know? Like, hey, what was going on with Starfire and her plot, dad? maybe, Not if even, you will. I mean, yeah. yeah uh, An F-plot. No, I mean... A J-plot. If you're in a 22-page story... A Z-plot. I would very... I would advise very, very, very minimal use of any more plots in one issue than three. I really, I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's enough space in 22 pages to handle more than three plots. I think you end up with a story that is not compelling um, and too busy. Uh, and so what what you would do is just like for one issue, you could drop out one of those subplots and you wait until the issue after to revisit it. You know, and so for one issue, you might drop out the Beast Boy and Superboy plot Saying hot and then swap just, the yeah, and then just introduce plots and then introduce a Starfire thing into there really quick. And then and for the then next issue, go back to Beast Boy and Superboy. Gotcha. And so you so have little things that are got, peppered in. You've got some slots that you you're like, yeah. okay, well, I've got a maximum amount of story selling space. I can't overwhelm this. Otherwise, it's going to water down. My otherwise, thing. you end up with Spider Man three. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I love. Sp- no, no I can't even say it. No, you didn't. I can't even say uh, it. And so that, that's the thing. You don't want to. You don't want to crowd your story too much with with all these different things going on. But it's like every issue, you can introduce just a couple of pages here. You know, two to five pages of a subplot that will later develop into something else. You know, you have you know, Deathstroke is is in San Francisco and he's just you know robbed a museum or something like that or whatever. You know, like little like things that. that you can that you can pepper in to develop the next arc before it starts. So that, that way when you get into that next arc, it feels logical. It feels like it's a thing that's been bubbling. Um, and you're already getting more story like, oh, that's right, he did yeah. love that museum. And if honestly, if you want the one of the better modern examples of the Levitt's paradigm in action, I mean, honestly, most good comic books uh, from the big two are doing this. Um, but if you want a good example, look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, they keep introducing little things in movies that then you know turn into bigger things in future movies right in captain america one bucky you know hydra's taking over bucky falls into the ice captain america number two all of a sudden oh bucky you know is back and he's been under the control of hydra and he was brought back to life right issue number three the entire conflict over bucky bucky killed uh tony stark's dad and that becomes sort of the impetus over a of a of a conflict between them and, and bucky becomes the central device of conflict for all these Avengers, right? And then in Captain America 3, we're moving, a, we've got a new C-plot of Black Panther showing up, and then exactly Black Panther becomes his own A-plot in his mm-hmm. own movie. Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. And the Infinity Stones also, you know, in, in every, you know, like every movie that the the um, cinematic universe had with an Infinity Stone in it was setting up a, a plot, you know, and oftentimes the Infinity Stones were the A-plot of these movies. They were the MacGuffins. But then those all form together to, to you know, culminate in the story that we see in Infinity War. Um, 
it's it's all about just like planting those seeds, creating little stories within stories, and alternating them. And and, and if you look up the image of the Levitt's paradigm that that uh, Denny O'Neill drew out, you know it, it shows very clearly. It's like yeah, here's your A, B, C, you know, and this is how they're playing a part. And it was an, an analysis of Levitt's um, Legion of Superheroes story and how he balanced those those uh, story arcs and how they paid off. And so that's a great way to go back. Honestly, most of the uh, DC comics from that time period, the like eighties ish, um, have some great examples of how to balance plot. And I mean, I think, you know, in dialogue and conflict and stuff like that, you can do a bit better personally. Some of those comics are amazing, you know, but they're a little dated. There's ways that you can modernize it, but the plot structure itself, I think really holds up. Did Kirkman, uh, friend of the show, Robert Kirkman, friend of the show, Robert Kirkman, (laughs) this is something that he has done very, very well throughout his career. Um, the walking dead is an amazing example of, of, um, plotting exactly that way. Uh, invincible as well. Um, yeah, he said that, uh, I'm repeating it, but uh, it's, I think it's relevant here that sometimes with those C plots, he had no idea where it was going. Totally. You just set up something interesting, and then maybe sometime in the future you pull it back. Yeah, and then he's like, well, how do I resolve that thing? Oh, wow, it'd be crazy if this happened. Yeah, totally. You, you just you set up interesting things that, that lead to a question, and then eventually you'll have an answer for it. You know, And sometimes you know the answer right away. Sometimes you'll have to find the answer through the other things in the story. Um, and then maybe it turns out that that wasn't interesting, or for other reasons you need to shift in a different direction, even though you were going towards that, and mm-hmm. then you got to write yourself out of a corner. Yeah. Which is challenging and fun as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and if if you're if you're writing for a 22 page comic, I think that's the best way to serialize it and continue the plot, continue the drama. Um, and even if you're writing for you know a graphic novel format, uh, it's still a good way to make sure that your plots are compelling and that they're always developing. Um, so if you want if you want to read more on that, you can uh, read obviously the DC Comics Guide to Writing Comics, um, or just look up the Levitt's Paradigm online. Um, but that's that's really all we have for that today. I think, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, had a little bit of time, so let's uh, let's let's get on into the outro. Um, our recommended resource of the week, Kent. What you got for me? Oh, it's my turn. Sure. Okay. Uh, so this week's recommended resource of the week is another podcast. Oh, competitor. I have uh, yes. This is a competitor yeah, that care. we're yeah, not competitors. We're we're, we're we're cohorts. <laughs> exactly. Uh, a cohort, and I am loving them from afar. Actually, no, I sent them a fan fan email. Look at you. Uh, it is called graphic novel. TK, mm. and it is by Gina Gagliano and Allison. I'm so sorry, Allison. I can't remember your name, last name. But uh, they do an amazing podcast, and it's about making comics. Uh, mm. Kind of similar to ours, but uh, instead of coming at it from, uh, not that it's not from a creator point of view, but they're giving a deep, delving insight into, like, not the behind the scenes necessarily, but kind of, yeah, the behind the scenes mm-hmm. on approaching publishers and more of just like to me it's it's the deep mechanical process on how a publisher works now, they are focused more less on like your your image dark horse um dc marvel side mm-hmm. of things and more on your uh scholastics uh graphics line first second because uh, gina gaglion comes from uh, first second she worked there for over a decade uh and more of like your in the united states the barnes and noble your chain bookstores your traditional novel publishing uh companies that have their own graphic novel or comics imprints mm-hmm. uh and so they're dealing more of like tradi- more of graphic novels uh kind of world which is a slightly different world and has its own mm-hmm. uh different quirks yeah. even though they're both comics 
they were operate yeah, a little bit differently. A little differently. They're a little yeah. different, and they go deep. And honestly, I almost started crying when I was <laughs> listening to the second episode because of just how worse. much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how much information? Because I mean, this our entire podcast here, Compa Workshop, is based on us searching for answers and yeah. searching for and not that everything has to have you know an a or b answer there's millions of answers sometimes but even finding any of those mm-hmm. this is, it's been very difficult for us and yeah. so we have decided to you know make this podcast and listening to graphic novel tk just gave me a whole different insight into another side of the comics industry that i want to know more about and there, an, there was things that i knew but lots of things that i didn't yeah uh, and it's been amazing they they do a fantastic job out there, and they interview uh, lots of different people that are in the industry, publishers, mm-hmm. uh, editors, all sorts. Uh, so definitely go check that one out. Yeah, I just it, subscribed yeah. as we were talking. Really? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. They they do such a good job. Uh, so definitely go check them out. Uh, it's dense. It's meaty. It's fantastic. And you will learn a ton. So yeah, graphic novel, TK. Go check them out. Amazing. I would like to thank Sean McKeever for being our guest this week and taking time Thanks, out Sean. of his busy schedule. Thank you so much for joining us. And yes, uh, and a big thank you to another Sean, Sean Rosner, who oh, does nice. the music uh, throughout our show. And you know uh, what? Thanks to Sean Murphy also for just existing and doing good art. Yeah. And thank uh, all the Seans. Thank all, Sean Crystal all those for Sean's putting out a there. good podcast and also good art. All those Seans. All we, the Seans. We couldn't do the show without you. Hey, yo, where are my Seans at? <laughs> uh, uh Thanks to, our, uh, thanks to our uh, oh uh, our iTunes reviews. Um, I haven't checked to see if there's any ones. I don't think ones, we have any new ones. Probably but, not. Um, if you do, do a review for us on iTunes or any of the other ones. But iTunes is our favorite. Yes. Uh, we will read it out on the show. We'll read your review as long as it's not crazy or hateful. Well, no, no. As long as it's not hateful. You can be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, and then uh, let's uh, thank our uh, patron who is on the $3 tier that gets their name uh, shouted out at the end of every episode. Melody... Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much, Melody. Appreciate your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to Patreon and subscribe on that three dollars tier if you want to be shouted out on our on our show. Uh, right. It's time for our social medias. Jason, where can the good people find you on the internets? Uh, they can find me at a white kid on Instagram, and you can find me at that might be cool on Twitter. How about you, Kent? You can find me at Kent Heidelman on all the social medias. My favorite is Instagram. And, uh, yeah, you can find this show ourselves. We have an Instagram called TMBC Workshop for it's, Comic Book Workshop. Yeah, we are at TMBC Workshop on uh, both Instagram and Twitter. Eventually we'll figure out that Twitter game, but uh, our, our heaviest... Uh, yeah, we, do, we, do, we do work on there. We do okay on there, yeah. Um, our, our heaviest is definitely on Instagram, but, yeah, there's we still share a lot of tips uh, from writers and artists on Twitter, so make sure you follow us there as well. Um, and uh, thank you for listening to the show. And uh, we're going to... End with uh, why Sean loves comics. Yeah, let's let's end with uh, why Sean McKeever loves comics. Man, why do <laughs> comics? Uh, comics have been um, part of the fabric of my life um, since three years old, mm. and I love that um, that they're they're very intimate. Um, they they allow you the um, they allow you the immersiveness. I think of of a novel. And at the same time, the excitement of, of, you know, something like film or television, um, it's serialized, uh, which I love. And it's, it, I think it's like the kind of the best of all worlds in terms of, of a way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And it's as a writer, it's a way for me to tell a story where I don't have a lot of collaborators, but I have just enough to help me, you know, get 
a vision through to the reader. Yeah. You know, and and it's a great way to communicate to people. Um, but as, but as a as a reader, um, yeah, I just I love getting lost in them. Be cool.com. You never know.